Uh, if you have your Bibles today, I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. If you're in the story, you can open that to page 30. And uh, we're going to be talking from that today. And, and I also want to make mention before we get started, uh, you see folks operating the cameras this morning. If you have an interest in catching up or watching the sermons, uh, they are now available on our website at vlchurch.com. So you can listen or watch. You can download the podcast, listen to it in your car, or listen to it at the gym. Uh, you could also, if you want to, go to our YouTube channel, VL, uh, Victory Life Church's YouTube channel. And I want to make a special mention this week, there will be a bonus video this week, bonus, uh, better than the price of admission, right, uh, uh, called The Redemption of Judah. And so if you're in your life groups this week, maybe you're leading a life group, go ahead and check out on the VLC uh, YouTube channel, The Redemption of Judah. You may just want to add that in as, as you're speaking. So, all right, you're in your story Bibles, chapter 37, uh, page 30, we're ready to rock and roll. Years ago, I got home from college, and I was back here in Northeast Ohio, and I was excited to reconnect with some friends. I happened to be hanging out with one of my buddies from high school, and he had fallen on a little bit of hard times. In fact, uh, we were out and about, and I come to find out that he had no job, he had no car, he had no money, he had no girlfriend, and he had no prospects. And uh, I at least had a job and a car, so I was doing all right, but... Uh, we were out and about, we were hanging out, and then we, we, were, we were just having a good time. We were close friends, and we saw somebody else we knew from high school. Somebody says, Skiff, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing good, man. I'm home, still working at Steak and Shake, you know. Uh, got a little part-time gig at my home church, which is cool, but I'm looking for something full-time, and, you know, just glad to be back in Northeast Ohio. And then this other person looks at my buddy who I'm with and says, hey, what are you doing? He says, I'm living the dream. I'd never heard that before. You probably heard that. I'd never heard that, so I started chuckling, and I, wanted, I had to walk away for just a minute because I didn't want to out my friend that, you know, his life was a hot mess, you know, and uh, his life is no longer a hot mess. Thank God for that. God, God has done good things in his life, done some wonderful things in my life, but I was thinking, as he said, live in the dream. I just thought, yeah, no, he's not. No, he is not. And how often, though, that regardless of where we're at in this life, we're really not living out our dreams, <laughs> Life throws us a lot of curveballs, doesn't it? And the plans and the ideas that we have for how our life is going to go doesn't often match with how our life has gone. And we don't quite see the, maybe the fruit all the time of our labor. We don't see our dreams uh, come to fruition. We, we, we wonder if, if God's truly still there working in our lives, and, and we're, we wonder how we got to the place that we're at. Well, we're going to talk about that in the story today. We're going to talk about a story of dreams, of someone who has given dreams, and those dreams lead to some pretty amazing things, but the path to get there is really circuitous. It's a long way round, if you will, to get a hold of that live in the dream moment. Now, last week we talked about God's relentless pursuit of us through Abraham and his descendants, a man who we found out was as good as dead ends up having a child with his wife Sarah, and that child is the child of promise. And, and through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is going to reveal himself to the world. He's going to bless the world. He's going to save the world through these people who come to be known as the Israelites. God made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as the stars in the sky. 
And I want to start today actually in chapter 4 of the story. You say, no, you're in chapter 3. I know, we'll get back to chapter 3. But if you have your Bibles and you got your finger there in Genesis chapter 37, just turn 14 chapters and turn to Exodus chapter 1 just for a second. Keep your finger right where it is. Turn to Exodus chapter 1. We're going to look at 7b and see that God's promise to Abraham comes true. Look at 7b. It'll come up here on the screen. It says, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. God kept his promise to Abraham. What God had promised took place. But how God's plan came to fruition, as I mentioned, is a story of dreams. And it's a circuitous route for God's plan to come into effect as you're back in Genesis chapter 37, at the end of chapter 2, you learned that the grandson of Abraham, whose name was Jacob, who also had his name changed to Israel, Jacob Israel, the same person, had 12 sons. 12 sons. I have three sons, and I think I'm going to go crazy. He has 12. I can't imagine. And we find out that they didn't always get along. And part of the reason for that is Jacob's son Joseph, 11th in line in the family, is a favorite son, someone whom Jacob loves seemingly more than his other sons. In fact, Jacob gives Joseph a coat of many colors. Some new translation says an ornate coat. I like many colors, or as Andrew Lloyd Webber put it, a multicolored dream coat or something like that, right? Technicolor dream coat. Yeah, I watched that this week. It was sort of fun. Found it on YouTube. I think there were German subtitles. Anyhow, Favorite son, Joseph, given this ornate coat by dad in a day. You say, why was that such a big deal? I don't want a multicolored coat. Dyes were very expensive. Woven fabric was very expensive at that time in history. It was an ornate gift. Not only that, but some trouble brews between the brothers because Joseph brings a bad report to his dad about how his brothers are running the family business. He's a tattletale. He's his dad's eyes and ears. But then finally, something beyond the pale happens. Joseph has two dreams. Joseph, this dreamer, dreams of his brothers bowing down to him, or at least bowing before him. Now, if one of my brothers said that I would one day bow before them, I would tell them to keep on dreaming. (laughs) But at that time in history, this means a lot. Remember that the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these brothers are living in a land that's not their own. Their existence, their sustenance, their their ability to survive is based on what dad gives them as part of their inheritance. And imagine if the 11th in line looks at you and goes, I'm going to be the boss when dad's gone. That's exactly what's happening here. And the brothers finally fed up with this favorite son, this dreamer named Joseph, devise a plan a plan to get rid of him. And there in chapter 37, verse 19, we see what they do one day when Joseph comes upon them out in the grazing fields. Verse 30, or chapter 37, verse 19, page 30 in your storybooks, here comes that dreamer, his brothers said. Come now, let's kill him. We're gonna throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, their oldest brother, Reuben, dissuades them, we find out in the story. The oldest brother doesn't want to do that to dad's favorite son. He says, throw him in the cistern for a while, and his plan was to come back and get him, and he leaves. Except that his brothers devise another plan, led by their brother Judah. Judah decides, listen, we don't have to kill him. 
I have a better idea. Let's just sell him. And they pull their brother out of a pit and decide to sell him into slavery. Look at verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who then took him to Egypt. From favorite son to slave. Now, I don't know how emotionally invested you are in this story this morning, but as I was studying it and looking at it this week, I thought about the horror of being sold as a slave. Can't imagine what that might feel like to recognize that your life is now no longer your own and you are at the whim of somebody else and, and, and to leave everything that you've known in chains. But equally, I can't imagine this happening to me done by the people who are supposed to be closest to me. My brothers, my friends, my confidants, my, my closest relatives, they're the ones who put me in that predicament. I can't imagine the feelings of betrayal being the recipient of that type of hate. But Joseph is, and his life is in the pit. You say, no, he was sold as a slave. Yes, but his life is still in that cistern. He is in the pit of life, from favorite son to slave. He sold into the house of a man named Potiphar, an official of the Egyptian kingdom, but that is not the end of the story for Joseph. Look at chapter 39, verse 2. We find out that the story is really just beginning. It says in 39:2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph is given control of all of Potiphar's household. He becomes lead slave, if you will. And the Bible tells us this a number of times in the life of Joseph, even in the midst of the pit, the Lord was with him. So his circumstances did not define him. You mean to say, Pastor Matt, that even when your life has taken the worst turn that it's ever taken, the Lord can be with you? The answer is yes. I can't imagine a, a much worse scenario than being sold into slavery. And then to be told after being sold into slavery that the Lord was with you, that is incredible. But we need to recognize today that no matter what turn our life has taken, regardless of the sin and the selfishness, the evil and the hate of the world around us, regardless of the situation that our life is in, the Lord is with us. And when he's with us, we do not have to be defined by our circumstances. Joseph was not defined by his circumstances. But I will say this, this wasn't his dream. He didn't dream to become a slave. He didn't dream to be betrayed. He didn't dream to be the lead slave. That wasn't what he wanted from his life. This wasn't the plans that he had. We don't know what Joseph's plans were. We know what the dreams were that he had, but we didn't know what he had in mind, what he had planned, what he thought might happen. But it certainly wasn't this. And when we look at Joseph as the lead slave in Potiphar's household, we might see someone on whom the favor of the Lord had rested. But we also see someone whose dreams were yet unfulfilled. At this moment, things get worse. If you've read the story already, you know that Potiphar's wife has a thing for Joseph. In fact, she wants to sleep with him, and Joseph is having none of it. 
And one day as he's in the house alone with her, she grabs hold of his cloak and he flees but leaves the cloak behind. And the spurned woman tells her husband, he tried to assault me. And Joseph is thrown into prison. I said a moment ago, I cannot imagine a situation that's much much worse than being sold into slavery except for being sold or sent into prison for a crime you didn't commit. But that's what happens next to Joseph. But once again, that is not the end of the story. Turn to page 32 in your storybooks or chapter 39, verse 20. Joseph now in prison, this is what it says of him. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, so that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph, Joseph's life has gone from favorite son to the pit, and now he is in prison, but once again, Joseph is not defined by his setback. But it's certainly not his dream. His dream was not to be lead slave. And his dream was also not to be first prisoner. You see, he's making the best of the circumstances that he's in, and we find out that that's only possible because the Lord is with him. But it's certainly not optimal Certainly not the best thing that ever happened to him. In fact, if you're just reading this story and you don't know the end from the beginning, you might look at this and go, oh, this is awful. It can't get any worse for this guy. This is rough. But though it wasn't his dream, it didn't define him. Yes, Joseph was in prison, but the Lord was with him. And we discover throughout this story that Joseph took that time in prison to use the gifts that God had given him. You see, Joseph was not only not left alone by God, he was given gifts by God. And Joseph had a particular gift associated with dreams. He could interpret them. Joseph didn't wallow in despair at being sent to prison. He rose to leadership within that prison, but he also used the gifts that God had given him. Come to find out by using his gifts in spite of his prison, it turns out to be his salvation. God gave Joseph the gift to interpret dreams, and he uses it to interpret the dreams of one man who was steward to Pharaoh, someone who had close connection to the most powerful man on earth. Joseph interprets his dream. The man goes back to Pharaoh and forgets all about Joseph. But one day, Pharaoh starts dreaming. Pharaoh begins to have very disconcerting dreams. Dreams that he cannot interpret. Dreams that all the wise men and magicians in the kingdom can't begin to come close to a proper interpretation. And the steward who was once in prison but now back in the palace of Pharaoh says, hey, I know a guy. He's in prison. His name is Joseph. Why don't you bring him here? And I love the detail of the story of Genesis. It says they got him cleaned up before they brought him to Pharaoh. Right? Got him all cleaned up. He comes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh shares his dreams, says, can you interpret these? And Joseph says, if the Lord gives me the interpretation, you bet. And the Lord did. 
He tells Pharaoh that there will be seven years of bumper crops, seven years where the livestock are growing, seven years where things are good in the land, followed by seven years of famine, seven years of drought, seven years where nothing will grow. Joseph says to Pharaoh, that's what your dreams mean, so you better find someone smart to put in charge of the preparation for the famine. And this is what happens in chapter 41, verse 39 and following. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, good suggestion, I added good suggestion, since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace and my people, and they are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Whoa. Now that's a God-filled turn of events. He now is in the palace, and not as a slave, not as a steward, not as head prisoner, but as second only to Pharaoh. Joseph has ascended from slave deputy to Pharaoh. Happens to be the chapter of this portion of the story. It could be argued that as second to Pharaoh, he was the most second most powerful man in all the earth. Quite the hall for the Lord being with him. The Lord was with Joseph and he was blessed. But it wasn't his dream. It wasn't his dream. It's not what God had placed in his heart. In fact, during this time of preparation for those years of famine, Joseph marries. He has a firstborn son. He names his first son Make to Forget. Manasseh, help me forget. Joseph's been through a lot, hasn't he? Just because he's ascended to second most powerful in the kingdom doesn't mean that he doesn't bear the wounds and the scars of his past. And Joseph never dreamed of being second only to Pharaoh. That wasn't what he had desired of his life. I'm sure the thought never crossed his mind in the fields of Canaan, yet that's where he finds himself. He names his first son, Make to Forget. But in honor of the Lord, his second son, Ephraim, he names be fruitful. In the midst of his pain, in the midst of his circumstance, God made him fruitful. But it still was not his dream. Nine years later, two years into the famine, his brothers came. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 42. When Jacob, father of Joseph, grandson of Abraham, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? Verse two, he continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. So his brothers go. They make their way to Egypt, not knowing whom they will meet. Look at verse six. Now Joseph was the governor of all the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Here it is. His powerless brothers bowing down prostrate before him 
as the second most powerful man on earth. And this was his opportunity to say, Ha! I have got you by the scruff of the neck. You powerless jerks. Look what you did to me. And look at where I stand now. His powerless brothers come before him. He has the opportunity to take vengeance. He's faced with a choice. His choice is to use his power to seek retribution or to do something different. His brothers have come and bowed before him, but I am telling you today, it was not his dream. You say, hold on, Pastor Matt, we read that that was his dream. His dream was that his brothers would bow before him. And I want to tell you, that was the dream he had, but it was not his dream. Look at the results of his brothers bowing down before him. Verse 24, he turned away from them and began to weep. Turn over to chapter 43, verse 30. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. Look at chapter 45, verse 2. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Is this the action of a man whose dreams have come true? He's deeply conflicted. He, he, he is overwhelmed at this situation. He's not exulting in the fact that his brothers are bowing before him. He is overwhelmed at the fact that they've come. And he has to deal with the emotional tumult of all that has happened to him. This is not his dream. His dream was not to see his brothers subjugated. Yes, there was a picture in a dream of his brothers bowing down before him, but his dream was not to rule them. If it was, he would have exulted in this moment, not wept over and over and over again. Obviously, Genesis wants us to know he wept so hard in chapter 45, verse 2, that everybody thought he was nuts. Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph's lost it. He's gone off his rocker. This is it. But somewhere, somewhere in this drama that unfolds between chapters 42 and 45, and please study them with your families and your life group this week, Somewhere in this drama, Joseph learns, number one, that his brother Benjamin is alive, and number two, that his brothers are changed men. And God reveals something to Joseph, and it doesn't say when, and it doesn't say how, but something is revealed to Joseph, and he discovers the purpose for which it all happened. Look at verse, chapter 45. Verse 3 and following. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. They were terrified at him. So Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one whom you sold into slavery. And now don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
For two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five, there'll be no plowing, no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph became aware of the purpose. By purely human standards, this is just an interesting story. Slave deputy to Pharaoh, way to go God. Yes, Joseph suffered, but in many ways his dream that he had, it became his curse. But Joseph realizes in spite of all of this that God has been doing something. Joseph realizes in the midst of this circumstance that God gave him a greater gift than interpreting dreams, a greater gift than being deputy to Pharaoh. Joseph's gift was that God allowed him to become the savior and deliverer of his people. That dream that Joseph had as a boy was not God trying to elevate Joseph to be awesome and make his brothers bow. God needed to elevate Joseph to save his fledgling people. If God had not given Joseph that dream, his people would have perished. Not only did God foresee the famine, but the archaeological evidence shows us that in the 430 years that the Israelites were in Egypt, Canaan was a land of warfare and strife a terrible place to live. What would have happened to this little band of descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had they stayed? You see, the Lord was with Joseph. And because of that, God's dreams came true. Those dreams were God's. Joseph had them. But God gave them. God gave them in order to accomplish his purpose in this world through a person whom he had created, through Joseph, through hardship, through strife, through pain, through agony, through elevation, through favor, through grace. The Lord was with Joseph, and God's plan came to fruition where does Joseph express joy? When he sees God's dreams come true. Joseph's joy is not when his brothers bow before him, not when he's leader of all Egypt, not when he's first prisoner, not when he's head slave. His joy is when God's plan comes to fruition through his life. Because that's what he was created for. And that is why he had endured all that he had endured. Genesis 37 through 50 tells us so much about what our life with God is to be like, doesn't it? Joseph's story tells us so much. It lets us know that your life can be in the pit, but that doesn't mean that the Lord is not with you. In fact, in the midst of the pit, you don't have to be defined by your circumstances. You can be defined by God and his purposes. 
Joseph's life shows us that if we're in the prison of our lives and we feel like things have gone from bad to worse, the Lord can still be with us. He can show us his favor and he can show us his grace. And he's still given us gifts to use. Gifts to, to take part in his plan. Gifts that we need to use. They might just become our salvation from that moment of despair. And Joseph's life shows us that when we have all the power in the world and it seems that life is now powerless before us, we have all the money, influence, prestige that we could want, we have a choice to make. A choice whether to use that power, influence, that money for our own ends or use it for the purpose for which we were created. And see God's plan for our lives come to fruition. If Joseph would have wiped out his brothers that day for God's people, he didn't. In fact, he saw the hand of God in his life. And it was a blessing. Where are you today? Your life in the pit? Wondering if God's still around? Well, he is. You don't have to be defined by your circumstances today. Look for signs of his grace and his favor. Don't be defined by your slavery. Your life in the prison today, things have gone from bad to worse. Do what Joseph did. Use your gifts for God and see what he does with them. Perhaps they'll be the very means by which God will pull you out of that prison in life. Don't stop doing for God just because life got rough. He's given you those gifts for a reason. You're supposed to use them. But for the vast majority of us in this room today, we're in the palace. And if we don't recognize that, we're foolish. For most of our problems are first world problems. Joseph was the second most powerful man on earth and he didn't have running water or electricity. We're living in the palace, folks. We have so much power, so much ability to change the world around us, so much that God has given us that we take for granted. And we can choose to take our lives by the scruff of the neck and say, I will use this thing for my own ends. The way that I've insulated myself from life, I will use this for fun. I'll use this to acquire more. I'll use this to my own ends. I'll use the gift of this palace for my purpose and my ways. but I tell you to say it today that that is not God's dream for you. And that is not where joy resides. The greatest place that we as human beings can reside on earth is the place where our will and his plan collide. Because in that moment, we have the opportunity to say, not my will, but yours.
And when we do that, God's purpose and plan for our lives can be fulfilled. Today, if you're in that place and you're just trying to wring as much of life out of life as you can, but you've forgotten that God's put you here, you've forgotten that he's given you gifts to use, you've forgotten that he has a plan for your life, remember. Remember that God is no respecter of persons. That doesn't mean he disrespects us. That means that he doesn't elevate one of us above the other in his heart. Each one of us has a plan that we were designed for. That God wanted to make manifest before we were ever born. How close are you to the purpose of God this morning? How close are you to God's dreams coming true in your life? Because you are part of the story. You are part of what God is doing in this world to pursue men and women. How close are you to his plan and his purpose today? Perhaps we could all get a little closer before we leave this place. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?